Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. The roads were chaos. People were, like, screaming. People were, like, so stressful and in fear running here and there. They were trying to find cars, vehicles. There was no vehicle on the road. Fortunately, we have some relatives willing to sponsor us. Unfortunately, those relatives live in Bluefield, West Virginia. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I am Jessica Hinkin. And this week on the podcast, Woman Warriors, tales from two women who face incredible obstacles and persevere. So this first story is shared by Atefa Sadat Hussein. This incredible young woman um, was living in Afghanistan during the time that the U.S. forces were pulling out and the Taliban was taking over. This story takes place right on the day that Kabul falls. And it's a story about Atefa's attempt with her brother and two friends to get to the airport, get on a plane, and get to a country where they could live in safety. Atefa's family um, had for many, many years worked for contractors that that, uh, worked for the U.S. Army. And so, as you probably remember from listening to the news around this time, uh, around August 2021, anybody who was seen to have assisted or helped or been affiliated in any way with the U.S. forces was at great danger um, when Kabul fell and when the Taliban took over. So that's the context against which this story unfolds. I woke up with a heart fling in my heart. I knew something would happen today. It was morning of August 15. I didn't know that that day was going on, but I chose to wear something long and black just in case I face any horrible situation. I packed my stuff and went to meet a friend. And after that, I told her to get ready. I'm trying to reschedule our flights from 16 to 15. I'm not feeling good. So I was on the way to the embassy because my passport was with the embassy. And uh, that was there for the visa. When I got to the embassy, I saw a lot of crowd around the embassy that was hard to get into the embassy. But I managed to go there and there was no staff working. It was just security guards. And they actually kicked me out three times. And again, I managed to go inside. And at the same time, I got calls from my friends. They were Taliban is inside the city. They are capturing neighbor by neighbor. Where are you? They may get close to you at any moment. Just get out of there and come to the home. But I was like, I get my passport and visa today or I will never leave this shit embassy. So I started there. I stayed there. I got my passport finally. I got my visa and I got out of the embassy. But the roads were a chaos. People were like screaming. People were like 
so stressful and in fear running here and there. They were trying to find cars, vehicles. There was no vehicle on the road. And my, the place that I wanted to go was on another side of the city. So I just got in on the road, started walking, and I suddenly saw a friend. They had car, fortunately, in Miracle, and I got into the car. And we drove to the home. But in the, in the, in the middle of the way, due to a lot of like, uh, people that were, they were trying to get out of the city, uh, we faced a traffic jam that lasted for around like six, seven hours. We were in traffic jam for about six hours in the car in a hot weather. And inside the car for a few hours, I noticed that no one is like, no one is talking and there was a heavy silence inside the car. So I was thinking that, okay, some, you know, this is something that happened and nothing worse can happen. So we are now in hands of Taliban and we are inside the car and uh, I couldn't get my flight. So what else we can do at this, at this situation? So based on my habits, I suddenly told my friends, okay, uh, this happened. Let's take a selfie. At least we have some selfie from these days. <laughs> And they were laughing and suddenly the atmosphere changed and we could spend the rest of the time talking and again laughing to how Taliban will appear because we heard that Taliban don't take shower, for example, for years. So, <laughs> so we were just like t trying to time pass and uh, try to control the level of the stress that we had. And, suddenly, and uh, finally it was okay and uh, the traffic was like open and we could... Uh, we could reach the place that I told my friends and my brother to be there. And when I arrived there, oh, before that, the city was like, uh, was like a zombie city. Like, people tried to just, be, people with the, like, like, larger vehicles, they were trying to roll over other people and roll over other cars. And, you know, everyone was like, and no one was helping anyone. They were just trying to save themselves. So it was completely like movies. And it's so scary. When I got home uh, and uh, I saw my friends, I told them to pack your stuff. We need to go to the airport now. And they were like, what? You lost your mind? The Taliban is on the way. If we go, they, were, they may arrest us. And we are not with Maharam. They were two of my friends. They were two girls without their families inside the Kabul. And Kabul uh, and Taliban has some like rules that if a girl or lady is not accompanied with a maharam who is a family member that should be male, then uh, they arrest and they take it like as a crime. So they were like, we don't have maharam with us. And if they take me or Atia, my other friend, with your brother, they may kill all of us. So I was like, I know, but now or never, we should take this risk. So we pack our stuff. We, we could like uh, book, uh, like not find, not book, of course, uh, find taxis, and we, go, we went to the airport on the way. Again, so silence, and we watched the city, despite the few hours ago that there were rush everywhere. No one was on the streets. It was a ghost city. The stores were closed, shops, nothing. So every, like, every, every sound in the city was completely like shut down. And we arrived at the airport. We were happy. We finally could get inside the airport. And we approached the place that we should deliver our luggage. But suddenly, 
we saw someone coming from backside and shouted and said, we passengers are the only human beings here. There is no one. The planes are here, but the pilots left. They escaped. There is no one here. So we searched everywhere. We went to the airplanes, like air, uh, airports ground. We searched plane by plane, and we found nothing. And, you know, that was like some scenes that I can't remember. Uh, there were some duty-free shops that they were, like, people broke the duty-free shops, and they stole some stuff from there. And, you know, some people left their luggage. Some people were stealing from those luggage. So it was completely, it was, like, scary horror movies. And then uh, we managed to find some, like, U.S. Army force uh, inside the airport. We approached them, and we tried to board to, into one of their airplanes. But unfortunately, the airplane was overloaded, and we got out of there. And we were hoping maybe some other airplanes will come. So we stayed inside the airport till morning. But the morning, uh, the firing started between the U.S. Army and the Taliban. And for our safety, we left the airport. And on the way of leaving the airport, we saw very unpleasant scenes. Due to firing, there were blood everywhere. And the dead bodies on the ground that they were stuck and choked in last, in last night's crowd. And many other unpleasant things. When you see blood on the, on the ground, when you see dead bodies, then you think that how they, how they died and am I the next person, where they are going to shoot from. So those thinking are like coming to your mind and you are just taking whatever energy you have to just run as fast as you can to just get out of that place. And we fortunately could get out of that place. We went home and we could arrive safely, but again, in home, we were not safe. My family was so famous in the neighborhood for working with the U.S. They traveled to the U.S. Everyone knew that we are working with the U.S. Army, and we were not safe there. We stayed just one night, and then we changed and shifted our place. And after a few days, my friend called us and said, okay, we want to go to the airport, but whatever happens, we just want to go and get into one of those airplanes. And we accompanied them, again, now or never. So we again got our courageous in. We accompanied them. They came, and uh, we got into the taxi, and we drove to the airport. And when we arrived there, there was a crowd around the airport. And we knew that because there was all around the news and media that the Kabul airport is not accessible there are crowds around it, and people are dying in, in, in that crowd. And moments before getting out of the house and going to the airport, due to the phobia that I have because of something that happened in the childhood to me, I was praying, and I was asking God. I was telling God, can you please open this crowd for me as you open the sea for Musa? And then I went to the airport. And we got into the crowd at six, around 6 or 7 p.m. in the night. And we stuck in there till 6 a.m., just few steps per hour. And then suddenly Taliban came and started hitting everyone. And just 150 out of thousands of people could get into them, into the airport. And we were among them. And when I saw the soldiers, the U.S. Army Force soldiers, 
That was the moment of relief. I really was happy. And that time we could finally get into an airplane and come to the U.S. Thank you. It's a miracle that she's alive. And that's what I kept on thinking as she was sharing this story is how fragile um, she seemed and how strong she seemed at the same time. And also just how many people lost their lives doing yeah. exactly what she she succeeded in doing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think a personal story like this, at least for me, really it just really opens a window into an experience that even listening to the news or watching it is hard. It's it's hard to imagine. And yeah. that's the power of personal stories is that we can all understand what it is to be scared. We can all understand pushing yourself to act in spite of your fear. And um, so it just brings it very, very close. And we can understand moments of levity of taking a selfie yeah. in the middle of it all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. God, she's, she's great. Okay. We'll be back in a moment with another story. Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. So our next story is from Dr. Christy Chang. And if you see Dr. Chang, she's a very small woman with a large smile. And she has a very soft voice, as you'll hear. Um, but listen closely. She has a really sharp and funny sense of humor. And her story is epic. Hello, everyone. So um, I was born in Taiwan in 1966. So baby girls born that year was considered very unlucky. They are called fire horses, and they are known to be rebellious and controllable and bring misfortune to their families and murder their husbands. <laughs> so my grandmother, who told me all this, also gave me a nickname, Lolo Mutant. Because um, among all the families, I'm the only one with naturally wavy hair. And if that does not distinguish me enough, um, Taiwanese government were encouraging families to have only two children per couple. And I was child number three. So I was nicknamed Duoto, literally meaning an extra head, the unwanted one. So needless to say, I grew up feeling rather insecure. So while I was working out this out, the adults in my family were quite anxious themselves. So you see, in the um, 30s and 40s, over 15 million Chinese died from the Sino-Japanese War and then from the conflicts between the communists and the nationalists. So my family survived by getting into bomb shelters minutes before the city was destroyed, or getting out one place and moving to another place before the army um, marched in. And in the 70s, as more and more countries cut off diplomatic relationship with Taiwan and accept China, mainland China, as the legitimate government, they worried that history was about to repeat itself, meaning China would attack Taiwan 
and we will go through the same nightmare that they faced. So it was decided they would do everything to give us to United States where we will be safe. Fortunately, we have some relatives willing to sponsor us. Unfortunately, those relatives live in Bluefield, West Virginia. So West Virginia, as you know, is a beautiful state. But in the late 70s, it was known for coal mining and not for teaching English as a second language. So I was 12 and my sister was 14. We had to leave my brother behind for other reasons. We came and the teachers had no idea what to do with us. So they park us in front of TV and have us watch Sesame Street and Electric Avenue hours and hours. So once the school is out during the summer, we supplemented our curriculum by watching general hospitals and <laughs> all, all my children. So that strategy worked. And um, I learned to speak English better than my parents very quickly and become their translator and their connection to the rest of the American society. So while my parents have no idea how we were navigating teenage angst, paying for college, there was no shortage of parental advice. So advice number one, work hard. And I did. So that little mutant eventually got a PhD in molecular genetics. And and I can mutate just about anything I want in the test tube. So second piece of advice, don't have an American boyfriend. So that turned out to be harder than getting a PhD. So, but I managed. I followed the advice and got an Italian boyfriend. So, so that Italian boy was on his own migration journey. He had left Sardinia, Italy, where all his families lived come here to pursue his doctor's degree in physics. And then so when we fell in love, he decided, well, I will stay here then. But at that time, Soviet Union just collapsed. So many scientists left Eastern Europe to come to United States. It was impossible for him, a newly minted um, doctor in physics, to get a job. So he went back to Italy accepted a job in the university that he graduated from. So for three years, we were apart, and he crossed Atlantic Ocean exactly 17 times until I married him and agreed to move to Italy. So once I got to Italy, and Sardinia is a beautiful island, um, I quickly and enthusiastically learned to cook, and I learned to speak Italian rather slowly and painfully. But I also learned that Sardinia, after being invaded so many times um, over the centuries, they were not very fond of outsiders. So everywhere I went, people asked, Puke Sekui, why are you here? And then um, one night, I was punched by a total stranger for no reason at all. So after several years, I had learned enough Italian. I started a research project, got funding. My student graduated with top honor. So my husband and I thought, well, now it's time to see if I can have a real position. And we asked to have my American degrees recognized. They say no. 
We don't want to recognize your undergraduate degree. We don't care if you have a PhD from an internationally known place. We just don't want you. So when I, oh, I was by then quite miserable, but I fear going back to the United States and start over again. And my husband was so happy there with his life, soccer, beach, family. I was really afraid what asking him to leave would do to our marriage. And then one night, I was crossing the street on foot. A car, an absent-minded driver, hit me going full speed. So I flew up 20 feet, landed on the car, seeking revenge and broke out the windshield and <laughs> bounced off again. And after that night, some parts of my body never worked the same again, including my head. So while I was hospitalized and recovering, I have time to think about my options. So that slightly damaged brain decided, hmm, I could have died. <laughs> I'm living here regardless of consequences. So fortunately, my husband agreed that we should go back to the United States. We pack up everything and come back to Baltimore. So fast forward to um, 2022, um, I got to study more genetics, mutate more things, become a faculty at University of Maryland. I got to teach graduate students and medical students. And one of my um, most recognized work was even mentioned BBC News. So I now drag a career development program to make sure that young scientists, junior faculties, not only survive, but thrive in a very competitive world. And um, three years ago, at age 50-plus some, I went back to school to study psychology and become a mental health therapist. So a couple days a week, I see clients come from all over the world, and we talk about their anxiety, or through their depression, and also feeling marginalized and coping with racism and microaggression. And earlier this year, we host a family from Ukraine who left almost everything behind to get to safety, very much like the way my family did. So you see that um, my modern migration story is not just moving from continent to continent, from genetics to psychology, it's also a little girl who used to be so insecure, becoming a woman who travels around the world and quite comfortable in her own skin. So um, as people view me through their biases and distorted cultural lens, whatever is that gives me meaning and gives me joy becomes so much more clear. And so... The story might start off as seeking safety, then love, adventure, but ultimately it's a, um, seeking freedom to change my mind, to reinvent myself. And by doing so, being the little mutant fire horse wasn't such a bad idea after all. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. Happy 2023, and we hope these stories 
give you some inspiration for all of the New Year's resolutions that usually people stop resolving after a month. Um, we want to thank Maureen Harvey, our producer, and we want to let you know that if you visit stoopstorytelling.com, you can listen to all of our previous episodes and learn about upcoming events. So we have upcoming live shows this year and so many thousands and thousands of stories for you to listen to. So please visit us there. Thank you, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.